Today I wish to speak to you from the book of Ephesians, the first chapter, and in particular the verse that says in chapter 1 verse 5 that God has predestined us for adoption as sons by Christ Jesus to himself according to the pleasure of his will. In the present time in which we live, it's almost impossible to find footing on which to stand securely. In recent times we have watched as everything that is considered church in our time, whether it's the Roman church or the evangelical church or various national churches have been essentially discredited. It leaves a vacuum right now for people to try to understand who they are and who God is in their lives. Because of course what has happened is that people derive their identity for the longest time from their church membership. So whenever you talk to a believer, the common question that would be asked is, what church are you a member of? Or where do you go to church? Because the view is that your relationship to God is filtered through a membership in a particular church. Now, church groups will typically say that when you're saved, God adds you to the church, citing the scriptures, which say in Acts 2 and at the end of Acts 2, and the Lord was adding daily to their numbers such as would be saved. Now over time, this understanding has evolved to mean that you joined a church, you became a member of a certain church. And as a result of that, the thought has been that if the church as institutions is being shaken, then what is lost in the process is the identity of those who go to church, because identities are determined primarily by these affiliations. So as they're being shaken, and the fact that they're being shaken is uncontrovertible. Uh, the uh, evangelicals, by and large, have become completely associated with a political party uh, in the United States. And the opposition to evangelicals is very much brewing and anyone and everyone who has any ability to see can clearly see that the backlash is already underway. Now, all manner of evasive and defensive posturings will take place as people scramble to try to keep what they have intact. The outcome is certain. Uh, much of this that will happen will happen as a direct decision or direct result of the decision by evangelicals to enter the political fray. 
and become identified with one of the two factions that are bitterly engaged in, in um, the struggle as to who rules the nation. When that happens, we're going to see, when the backlash comes, we're going to see a, a scrambling of people for place and position and all the other things that, that come up when vested interests are lost. We are at the forefront of what is going to become a legal investigation of the Roman Church here in the United States. Something that they've avoided for decades, even though everyone knows that this institution is riddled with pedophilia, homosexuality, and all these other forms of, of behavior. It's, it's, it's really not a stretch to say that American Roman Catholics are in a serious crisis of identity. National churches are lurching back and forth as the issues of the day drive them from one position to another to another. So it's not hard to see that in the current situation, um, if you are a member of a church, irrespective of what church you are, of which you might be a member, that what is certain is that whatever identity you have formed as a consequence of your relationship uh, to that church entity is now seriously challenged. And so I'm, I'm speaking to you today about an identity that transcends church membership. You must not for a moment believe that when these institutions and their doctrines and the leadership of them come under severe scrutiny, that that somehow lessens the original message that came from heaven and is part and parcel of what God intended when he created man. Uh, just as a point of reference, when God created man, put him in the garden, he was not a member of a particular church. Uh, when Jesus came into the world, he was not a member of a church. Church institutions are the way we have come to understand the relationship to God. But I'm here to say that church institutions have nothing to do with your relationship to God. And so with the fall of these institutions, much by internal corruption and or by bad choices made by leaders who are poorly informed, who have led the people of God astray, uh, when, when these things come in serious conflict and are being um, repudiated by God himself, that says nothing at all about the identity, the security, the well-being of those who put their trust in God and who are, in fact, the sons of God. So I want to talk to you from Ephesians today to explain this principle which transcends it all. So Paul says in writing to the Ephesians, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto adoption as the sons of God by Jesus Christ to himself according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he has made us, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Now, it's very interesting to me that first the word predestined. It's the Greek term proorizo, proorizo. And it's comprised of two words, pro and orizo, which means to set in advance or to limit in advance as in having predetermined, to have ordained before time. So before time began, God ordained us to be adopted as his sons. The word here for sons is huiothesia. Huiothesia. It's comprised of two words. The first is huios, which is the word son, but it speaks of immature son as opposed to an infant son or a young child. A huios is a mature son. And the word tetimai, so huiothesia, the word tetimai, T-E-T-H-E-M-I, which means to place or position a son. That's the manner of adoption. An example would be when uh, Julius Caesar, the Emperor of Rome, decided to have an heir. He knew that his son by Cleopatra, the Egyptian queen, would never be acceptable to the Roman people. So, in, so instead, and to preserve his legacy, he positioned his sister's son, Octavian, as his heir. And by doing so, he formally adopted him as his son, which is to, to have consciously and intentionally decided to position another, other than the heir of his body, son of his own flesh, to position that person as an heir. God, from the beginning, before the foundations of the world, God, before he made man, positioned him to be accepted as a son, positioned man in Christ to be adopted as a son. What does this mean? It means that your very nature and 
your purpose for being in the world has been predetermined by God to be that of an adopted son. Now, in Christ, the only type of son that you could be positioned to be is that of a mature son, huios, a son who is capable of handling the rule of his father's house. The problem, you see, is simply this. There is no plan in any of religion for a believer to be matured to the status of being weos, a mature son. Search as you might, whether in the Roman church or any evangelical church or any state church or any church, and you'll find a simple message. Each of them has some notion of how you get to heaven when you die. It really is only about getting to heaven when you die. Living in the earth and living to carry the presence of God in the earth as a mature son is not part of anybody's plan. It doesn't, it isn't rocket science, you know. If people are expected to remain as infants, then their leaders can do with them anything they want to because the people have no ability to think for themselves, let alone to act for themselves. The whole pattern of church has co-opted the place of the family of God, even though they have names like First Family Church. What they actually mean is, we're a church to which you could bring your whole family. Or they will talk about the church being a family. But if it is, it's a horribly dysfunctional family. Because you're members of a family and you don't even know who the members of your family are. It is rare to find someone, however long they've been a member of a church, who can actually stand under the weight of truth, who actually has a mind to investigate what is true and to form an opinion or a view based in what the Holy Spirit shows them. In fact, many churches do not even believe in the effective working of the Holy Spirit presently. You know, the condition in which we are, both as a nation and as church people, is entirely predictable. I think what is surprising to me is that we're surprised that it's falling apart. To regain the ground, you must begin with things that cannot be shaken. You see, everything has been prophesied to be shaken. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. For the most part, the church has thought it would be exempt because God has been patient and long-suffering in dealing with it 
it has grown arrogant and calloused, thinking that anything it says or does has the imprimatur of God. Whether it's the Roman church who calls its leader God appearing vicariously through a man, that's the meaning of the word vicar, or the pastors who pompously strut and say, they're God's anointed. And yet, they care nothing of the standards of Scripture, whether for their own personal lives or the standards of their ministry. So, why are we surprised that it's being shaken? God is simply using, as He always does, He uses events in nations to bring about correction among His people. This judgment, let us understand, has begun with the house of God. With the house of God. It's the first thing to be set in order because it's become a harlot. It's been, it's been paid a price, mostly by political operatives, and its leaders have handed her over, by and large, with very few exceptions, to their own political ambitions and the seduction of being near to seats of power. It's been going on a long time. The Christian church, the evangelical church, entered the political fray since the 1950s. It's when key leaders began to seek the favor of presidents in the hope that, being associated with power, they could influence the direction of the nation. We were never sent to influence the direction of the nation. More lately, people talked about seven mountains and how to get into the systems of the world to take them over for Christ. A more misguided notion could hardly be imagined. You wonder what book these people have been reading. The kingdom of God is distinct. It's not one of the kingdoms of this world. It exists to present to the world a clear and distinct alternative to the corruption that inevitably sits in whenever men, unrestrained by the Spirit of God, are in charge of anything, anything at all. So, the Kingdom of God was never meant to be a seat at the political table and to be beholden to the favor of any political figure. And the leaders who have taken it into these realms are not the leaders God has appointed, and they will all be discredited with the fall of the leaders that they so completely embraced. Now they'll begin to try to distance themselves from these, these positions they've taken and from the leaders they've adopted. But their enemies will not allow them to escape. The wrath of those who oppose evangelicals
will come with a fury that the evangelicals themselves could hardly have imagined, let alone prophesied. In the midst of this, people are going to have to decide who they are in relationship to who God said he made them to be. They're going to have to find another way, a different way. Thank God there is a clear and largely unexplored other way. It's actually called the family of God. It's what's meant by the phrase, in Christ, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. He does so by adding members to his spiritual body, an assembling of human spirits to the spirit of Christ. And what arises as a result is a people drawn from every tribe, tongue, language and nation assembled together by the Spirit of the Lord into an expression of the presence of God in the earth and a carrying on of the work began by the Lord Jesus Christ. They are known collectively as the body of Christ. And now in the world, it is the time for that corporate entity, that spiritual man to arise. That man has not been compromised by corrupt and filthy leadership who sought to gain every dollar they could by every means they could from those who are followers of the Lord. They've come up with every scheme imaginable, rolled out one scheme after another after another and they're in such a hurry to get to the next one that nobody ever checks to see whether or not the last one was successful, whether it achieved the objectives they said. For 40 years, I've been hearing of one scheme after another after another. And the same leaders have been perpetrating each of these things but they've drawn closer and closer to the political orbit and now they're entrapped in it. It's the same bunch of people and they cannot escape it and God will not allow them to escape it because they will go down with that ship. So to that end, God is beginning to unveil that which he has kept until this hour and until this time. And as he does so, a new identity will be unveiled. I am speaking more and more about this identity. My intent is to give form and definition first to the original intent of God and second to the practical meanings of it so that you might embrace it, be part of it, because as these institutions fall, two things will happen. I believe the majority of people will fall away. There'll be a great falling away. Most people will be just disgusted and they will be 
disenfranchised, disheartened, then they'll just quit. I think it's safe to say that point of view is fully underway. But then those who have always sought God will arise and they will continue to seek God just as they've always done. They will, they will not allow their hurts and their disappointments, which were part of the journey of seeking God, to discourage them to the point where they quit. Those are the ones God is actually looking for. And He'll collect them up and assemble them in spiritual households to form, ultimately, a holy nation. And as He brings them forth, He will fill them with His presence and with power. The false church will hate them first. And then the nation will not abide them. Much of the trouble that will come to them will come as a result of those who have gone before, who muddied the waters, who are guilty of these travesties. But all of those actors will move on quickly, hide themselves from the wrath of the backlash, first from the, from the other side and then second from the nations but the wrath will fall upon the true church. God will allow it. And the reason is he will put on display the glory of the Huothesia, the adopted son, the mature son adopted, positioned as a son by adoption through Christ Jesus. That son collectively, corporately, will carry the glory of his father's name. That is the son whose name, concerning whom the father's name is written on his forehead. This is not about church membership. This is now going to be about God as father and his corporate son comprised of many members, some of whom are in heaven already but the majority of whom may yet be on the earth to face the day when God discloses his glory in that remnant few. Their behavior in the midst of unrelenting persecution, great hubris, unfair treatment, political backlash, their behavior will put on display the glory of God. I'm Sam Solon, thank you.